This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for this Thursday, April 20th. Forecast for today, cloudy, a chance of showers this morning and then clearing this afternoon. The high today, 11 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, the runner-up mayoral candidate from the last cycle bows out and endorses Olivia Chow. Number two, federal workers dig in on their first day of the strike. Number three, young Canadians got meaner thanks to COVID. Number four, Justin Trudeau concedes Canada will not meet its NATO commitments. And number five, fans are looking for a brand new Maple Leafs in game two. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. And a little bit on the wet side out there. Robert Turner, you came in after I did. Was it raining when you were driving in? Can confirm it was raining. Can confirm. Okay. So, um, I and, and frankly, I... Can't make any hard predictions about when this comes off the table, so I'm not going to offer you any any advice about when to walk the dog or anything like that. So, uh, lots of things going on in the news uh, this morning, including the latest development in the mayoral election. And I guess, I mean, this is sort of a, I don't know if we would call it a wrinkle, but I'm fairly sure that some candidates are going to drop out over the next few weeks. And so it'll be a bit like a political convention where people say, all right, I'm not going to win, so I'm going to give my support to this person. I sometimes wonder if uh, Mitzi Hunter is going to do that because she has so far neglected to resign her seat at Queen's Park. I don't know what the game is there, but I also don't consider her to be a front runner. Uh, But yesterday, Gil Penalosa, who had not actually yet filed his paperwork, decided he was not going to be running, and he threw in with Olivia Chow. So that is a net benefit for Olivia Chow because, I mean, he was third in the race, the la- or actually second in the race the last time around. He got 18% of the vote. So clearly some people like Gil Penalosa. Well, or they didn't like John Tory. I guess so. I, I sometimes think that people in voting just sort of, well, I can't go with the popular guy. So I'll throw in with the other person. I'm sure Gil Penalosa is a very decent fellow. He actually does have a considerable record. And whenever people like Bogota, I mean, when people in North America think of Bogota, they think of basically drug runners. Um, But actually, it was a very progressive, probably still is, city. Gil Penalosa, his brother was the mayor. Gil Penalosa was the urban planner. And they completely revolutionized that city, making it much more friendly for pedestrians and for cyclists and greening it all up. But, you know, I don't know how that necessarily translates to Toronto, so I never quite understood him as a mayoral candidate. Well, he was the guy who got thrown in to run because someone had to run against John Tory. Everyone knew they were going to lose, so nobody wanted to burn their political capital being a loser. Well, I'll never forget the guy whose name I don't mention who placed fourth, 1.6% of the popular vote. Uh, But Gil Penilosa made, and I still don't know if I need to put the umlaut on this, but uh, made an appearance yesterday with Olivia Chow and said, hey, I'm all for Olivia. Over the last 12 years, we have not made a dent in housing. Over the last 10 years, the city has become less safe, less affordable. So I was ready to run, but I also think it's not about me. Okay. So uh, he said he thought about maybe throwing in with Josh Matlow because he says he has a lot in common with Josh Matlow, who's considered to be the other person who's on the left of center uh, list. 
but he decided that he would throw in with Livia Chow because he believes, quote, she is a better team builder and she brings more people on board. I'm looking forward to the first polls, to be honest. And I realize that's kind of a lazy way to analyze things. But at the same time, this is such a wide field of people. I've compared this mayoral race to, I don't know if you ever watched a long distance running race at the Olympics, but first of all, it looks ridiculous. But, you know, people walk along and they wobble their shoulders and they all work in a pack until they get to the, like the last kilometer or half kilometer. And then all of a sudden they all start running. And so I think that's kind of what we're going to see in this mayor's race. Cause it's any persons to win of, I'd say the top eight candidates. And it depends on how many people show up and it's a by-election. So who yeah. knows? Well, and you know what, it's on the 26th of June and maybe it's somewhat of my Quebecois mentality. Anything that happens after the 24th of June, couldn't care less about. I mean, I realize I'm heavily invested in the mayor's race. We'll be here to cover it. We'll have the outcome. Probably the winner will be live in our studio the morning after. But at the same time, I think most people are going to be checked out. And I'll bet the uh, turnout does not top 40%, which would be really tragic. Because, you know, if you want to get into math games, and we talked to um, a political science professor about this yesterday, if we have like a 40% turnout, and the winner wins with 15% of the popular vote, then essentially nobody voted for them. I mean, honestly. Well, and we know whoever wins is going to have to go to the province and the feds and say, hey, we need some help here with money. Yes. Well, you, you don't have, if, if you've got, you know, hey, I can rally my, what, 12% of the population that voted for me. It's, I mean, it doesn't make them an illegitimate mayor. No. But it means they don't have the power that John Tory did because well, he was popular and he had a lot of votes. And that's absolutely the thing is that um, they will be the duly elected mayor of Toronto. And I'm not a big fan of, well, you know, Justin Trudeau was only elected by this many people. Yeah, but he's still the prime minister. But you're right. He can't sit in Doug Ford's office and say, by the way... I carry this many votes. The next time you go to a provincial election, you're going to want me. So we'll see where it goes. Um, not a lot to add to this particular story, but uh, Toronto police arresting a 14-year-old after a threat was made on a Toronto school yesterday. It was Forest Hill Junior and Senior Public School. And we don't know exactly what the threat was, but this individual, I see that they're, they're not gendering them. They are set to appear in court on Thursday morning. I always wonder about situations like this where, you know, maybe a kid thinks that they're just kind of goofing around and next thing you know, the police are at their door and they're in a cell. I imagine they were probably remanded to their parents last night, but um, still this kid wakes up this morning thinking, wow, I thought that was funny and now we're in some pretty serious trouble. Uh, Canadian businesses, we are told, are bracing for tax filing troubles. Now, one of the funny things about all of these federal civil servants being off the job is I know we can chortle about, well, I don't have to file my taxes. Actually, you still do. And the downside is if you were entitled to a refund, you're not going to get it until this strike ends. There's one significant takeaway in all of this, because I don't think Canadians are trembling in fear of this particular strike, because I can't see too many places where it's going to affect you all that much. But one of the most compelling aspects in this is one of the things they're striking about is the right to work from home. And that is not just a civil service 
issue. That is something that is going to be an issue for every single working Canadian who is capable of working from home. I get it. You're driving a truck right now for a living. You're not working from home. But an awful lot of people listening are still arguing with their employer about whether or not they can work from home. Time to say good morning to News Talk 1010's John Moore. John, good morning. Let's get into it. So, Gil Penalosa, the last runner-up to the previous uh, mayoral election, is now out of the race, and he's throwing his support behind Olivia Chow. Yeah, this is a fairly significant development for Olivia Chow, having only just declared her candidacy. She is one of two candidates who are considered to be the standard bearers for the left-of-center crowd. Gil Penalosa drew 18% in the last election. It was not that significant, really, against John Tory, who got two-thirds of the vote. Still, he does have a degree of support. So, him declaring yesterday that he is going to be supporting Olivia Chow is a definite boost in a field of candidates who are all roughly tied. Mm, okay, interesting to see what happens there. Uh, certainly makes the race a little bit less crowded. Still very crowded, though. And uh, turning to this now, a 14-year-old has been charged after making alleged threats to a Toronto school. We don't know a great deal about this, actually, but we do know a 14-year-old is going to be presented before a judge this morning. And think about that for a second. You're a 14-year-old, so you're mm -hmm. like a grade 9 student, and there you are in court having made some form of a threat at Forest Hill Junior and Senior Public School yesterday. So um, I guess maybe they thought they were being archly clever in some sort of a stunt, mm -hmm. and now this morning they're going to be facing a judge. Yeah, okay, uh, something that uh, shouldn't be taken lightly and uh, this is also very serious a doctor uh, who treated a patient for cancer and they didn't have a license or they didn't have a license or, or, or I should say they treated a patient who did not have cancer and yeah. now they're getting their license revoked you're absolutely right. License revoked for Dr. Akbar Noman Khan, uh, founder of something called the Medicor Cancer Centers Incorporated. And not only was he providing alternative treatments to some cancer patients, but he had diagnosed some people with cancer who didn't have cancer, and then he was treating them. And think about that for a second. This is a person who for 13 months thought they had cancer, was undergoing uh, cancer treatment, which was causing all of the usual side mm. effects, and they did not actually have cancer. So the doctor has had his license revoked and the practice is closed. Wow, that is a scary situation indeed. Uh, and, you know, it's hard not to draw or connect the dots here, John, but some experts are suggesting that the pandemic may have made youth, young people, meaner and less empathetic. And you're going to have sociologist uh, Caitlin Mendez joining you at 7.05 this morning to talk about this. I think that we're going to spend many, many years sort of interpreting what the collateral damage of COVID was and the COVID shutdown. But increased time online during the pandemic is thought to have made younger Canadians meaner, according to a researcher who, as you mentioned, we're going to be talking with. Uh, teachers noting young people are coming back to school. Uh, they don't communicate with each other the way they used to. There is a uh, lack of eye contact, facial expression. Uh, they've been missing out on the human touch and even voice intonation. So there is this 
um, gap in empathy and in relatability for young people. And like I said, I think we're going to be rediscovering this and researching this for years to come. And we're going to wonder sort of, you know, not that this is a lost generation mm -hmm. necessarily, but, you know, what is the ongoing damage for the rest of their lives? Yeah, every day I look at my three boys, you know, mm -hmm. who homeschooled and did all that stuff during the pandemic. And, and I think, oh, no, is this a byproduct of what they've been through, what we've all been through collectively? Uh, okay, turning to this now, finally, Jean, uh, Leafs Nation will, will be looking very closely at this game. Uh, the Leafs will get a chance to redeem themselves in their second game against the Tampa Bay Lightning tonight. Here's hoping we'll all be watching, <laughs> but people are looking for a different Toronto Maple Leafs tonight. They lost game one, as you know, to Tampa Bay 7-3. And uh, amidst all of this, of course, there is the announcement that came yesterday. Michael Bunting has a three-game suspension as a result of a hit on a player who was not at the time carrying the puck yeah okay wow all right I can just bet uh, the fanxiety is starting uh, News Talk 1010's John Moore always a pleasure to chat have a great Thursday we'll talk with you again tomorrow take care okay Jennifer Shang our friend over at CP24 and uh, yeah I was at the NHL website actually watching the video and they show that hit I must have watched it a dozen times and it, it's the only word that comes to mind is gratuitous. It's just, I, what were you thinking? What was the point in all of this? I mean, I get it. Sometimes a player is dispatched to the ice and they say, go get this person, knock them out. And, uh, you know, we'll take them out of play for uh, a while. But it just seemed to be sort of, oh, I'm on the, you know, we're next to each other. I'm going to put my shoulder to your head. Um, so, yeah, bunting out for three games. That and happens on roundtables sometimes too, though. It does. I, I remember the time Laura... Babcock knocked out Mark Warner. It was just like out of nowhere. He just went flying. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, is there anything more to be said about the uh, federal civil servants who walked out? Because what I find intriguing in in this is, and maybe it's because I remember the crazy days of the seventies and eighties when everybody was on strike all the time, and if the letter carriers went on strike, it was an existential crisis. And yet with the federal civil service walking out at 12.01 yesterday, um, I get it. Maybe you, you know, maybe you're a pig farmer, whatever. Some people have business with the federal government that is not going to get done. But I just don't see a lot of people waking up this morning in a cold sweat thinking, oh, my God, the civil service is on strike. Well, we talk about this all the time, though, right? I mean, the level of government that hits you the most is municipal, and it's the one people seem to pay the least attention to. Uh, because of those, But those are the services you interact with most. Unless you have business to do, yeah. you're not going to notice this yet. But if you do, it's kind of a huge deal. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, business, small business, big business, um, they're going to have some issues. Uh, certainly when they say that it could interfere with some cross-border traffic, I'm curious to see how that's going to manifest itself because I'm planning on doing some cross-border traffic next weekend. But at the same time, you know, I'm just going to file my taxes and we'll keep moving. So you've just gone on the air and basically said this strike isn't a big deal and not affecting me a week before you're going to have to deal with some of these workers who may have heard that and then decide to jam you up. Uh, yeah, perhaps, but I don't, Super. I don't think they're taking notes. I mean, they're still trying to figure out how to strike over Zoom. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. So things seem to be continuing pell-mell about trying to get access to cell phone service and data in the Toronto subway system.
Uh, the latest is that Canada's industry minister, François-Philippe Champagne, who seems to be angling to replace Justin Trudeau, like not in a sort of, um, you know, we're going to stab Caesar way or in a Paul Martin versus Jean Chrétien way. But it was funny when I went to Parliament a few weeks ago to watch Joe Biden make his address. I was sitting with some conservative party insiders and they were all pointing at the liberals. Uh, we could only see the backs of their heads, but they were pointing at the various people who have been angling to at the very least be in the hopper should Justin Trudeau decide that he's not going to run. I think Justin Trudeau is going to run again. I think there's a degree of ego there. And also it's kind of like Jean Chrétien where back when Paul Martin was more or less clearing his throat and saying, it's my turn. Jean Chrétien got so annoyed with the people who worked for Paul Martin that uh, he was in a room and of all people, it was actually Aline Chrétien, his wife, who said, screw it, run. And Jean Chrétien said, okay, I'm going to. And he did. And he won a third mandate. So I think Justin Trudeau is going to run again. But uh, Mr. Champagne is probably on a list of about four people who would like to have that job. Back to the more pressing issue of access to cell phones in the Toronto transit system. Uh, Champagne says he wants the telecom companies to rectify the situation that currently exists with a degree of urgency. So he wants them to reach deals to allow any cell phone provider to have access in the subway system. And a lot of this, speaking of ego, probably does come down to, you know, territoriality. Um, the deal was made with this Australian, or was it New Zealand company? Um, but the, the, there is this company that administers cell phone service on the TTC. And actually, I know that some people look at this askance and think, okay, why is some company far, far away administering this? They actually, it's their speciality. They also manage cell phone service in places like London, England. So they got the license to administer cell phone service. They made the deal with Wind, which is now Freedom. And then the other people said, yeah, well, we're not going to pay Wind for access to cell phone service. Thank you very much. And that's been 10 years of this cell phone blackout on the TTC. So now what happened was Rogers bought this company. I think it's called BIA. Um, no, it's called BAI. BAI. Okay. BIA is the Business Improvement, business and, improvement yeah, Association. Yeah. That's why I always... Actually, when, I, when I've been on the TTC and I'm looking at accessing Wi-Fi, I always thought that it was the Business Improvement Association that was offering me free Wi-Fi. Anyway, Rogers bought that company and now... The hope is that Rogers is going to be able to figure out, no, not figure out, I mean, that the other companies are going to subscribe from Rogers. But that takes a bit of surrender, let's put it that way, that, and you know, our own company, one of the great all-time titans of communication in Canada, that they're going to have to go make a deal with Rogers and then sign a check you know, on a monthly basis or however they might, it might happen. Um, but anyway, the minister is insisting he wants to get this done and get it done as quickly as possible. Well, he's the minister. Can he do more than just send a strongly worded memo? No. 
Like, well, remember when we when Rogers had that massive outage and knocked Interac off, and we had that day of right. really real disruption. Uh, there was a whole lot of y'all. Your guys are going to work together and figure out how to back each other up if this happens again. You're going to do it by such and such a date. I just don't understand why this isn't a requirement that you know if 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 the government thinks it's important it happen then you tell them to do it. I mean, it's a heavily regulated industry. But right. I also don't understand how Montreal Subway has it and everybody works together and everything's great, but Toronto doesn't. It seems to me like the, well, could the be source of this... players. I mean, Videotron is a huge supplier in Montreal. Okay, but it's, it also could be that the TTC did a bad deal. Oh, and, yeah. You know... So it's, I, I know everybody loves to be mad at the big telecom companies, and we've all had our issues, but I don't think this is all them. Oh, no, the TTC made a very bad deal. Uh, and then that was followed by another bad deal. And that's about all I'm going to offer so I don't have to spend any time <laughs> in the C-suite later today. So uh, not going to dwell on this forever because it's a wrinkle in a campaign that has how many more weeks? It's the 20th of April. So we've got two plus months before Election Day. But it is a significant development. Gil Penalosa, who placed in the last... Is it really a significant development? Okay. He got he got a um, attendance ribbon in the well, last. Election. They needed someone to, to run against John Tory. He he took the he took the fall knowing he wasn't going to win. He got some votes, but he hadn't even registered his paperwork this time. Oh, I know he wasn't running. Um, in which case, actually, I'm going to have to go to the official website. I'll give you more homework, uh, Joe, because um, I think we're still at 48 candidates for mayor, and I'm betting we're going to get to 50. Because Gil Penalosa, we weren't counting him because he never filed his paperwork. He never actually registered for the race. So when people say there are fewer people running for mayor, no. Um, Gil Penalosa has failed to register to run for mayor for a second time. And he threw his endorsement to Olivia Chow. Uh, also endorsing Olivia Chow is somebody who seems to be incapable of giving up on municipal politics, Kristen Wong Tam, who's now an MPP. Um, but here she is uh, throwing number 21. Here she is at this appearance yesterday throwing in with Olivia Chow. I benefited from the dental programs that she started as a child right here in this city. I swam and learned to swim in public swimming pools that she fought for at the city. I learned to read at the public libraries that she fought for and made sure that, she, that those hours were open when she was a city councillor here. Okay. And, you know, I mean, Olivia Chow has had a long and fruitful career. I don't know if she would be the right choice for mayor. I incidentally do not plan to endorse anybody between now and Election Day. I mean, I'm a voter. Dave Agar, actually, our former morning news anchor, he used to not vote because he felt that the integrity of a journalist was such that even going into the voting booth and placing an X on a ballot was too much, that that showed a degree of partiality. Uh, I do vote, but I never, never endorse. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. And a few things in the five things that probably need a bit more context. I realize not a lot of people are that preoccupied by our NATO commitments. But since we're being all hard ass about Ukraine, uh, we might be a little bit more invested in meeting our NATO commitments. Now, Donald Trump always 
had this bizarre idea that NATO was like taking out a magazine subscription and that people paid dues, and that's not the case. If you're in NATO, what you commit to is spending 2% of your GDP on military matters. And Canada is way off target in spite of strutting about as a major NATO partner. Uh, I think the last time I was looking at the figures, Canada's uh, spending vis-a-vis -vis GDP is 1.29% uh, instead of 2%. And what's intriguing in all of this is this is part of these leaks that happened in the United States where this 21-year-old guy had all kinds of clearance he probably shouldn't have had. And he wasn't officially leaking stuff. I mean, it wasn't like somebody who goes to the New York Times or the Washington Post and says, I disagree with something our government is doing, and here are some secret documents that tell you how the government's been lying to you. This was just a guy who was strutting around in an online gaming platform trying to impress people younger than him with all of his you know, insider knowledge. And one of the things that he leaked was Justin Trudeau at some point had confessed to the Americans that there was no way that Canada was going to get to its NATO commitment. So take that for what it is worth. Interesting survey out that shows Canadians are still overwhelmingly on board when it comes to vaccines, but the support for vaccines has dropped somewhat. And I think, you know, we know the reasons why. This is all about the anti-vaxxers who have convinced some people that vaccines are a bad idea. Uh, most Canadians, 82%, still say vaccines are important during childhood, but that number has dropped 8.2 percentage points since before COVID-19. Uh, UNICEF report finding that in 2022, uh, cases of measles around the world have doubled from the year before. There was an eightfold increase in the number of children paralyzed from polio around the world. And all of this stems from the fact that people are now vaccine hesitant. And, you know, one of the worst aspects of the vaccine hesitancy uh, dates back from before COVID. And that would be um, the human papillomavirus. Um, there was this spasm, mostly in the United States, but I heard from people in Canada who were embracing the same idea. Uh, the idea is that you're supposed to get this vaccine when you're like seven or eight years old. And people said, well, you know, it's all about sexual, sexually transmitted viruses that lead to cancer. So how can what are you, why are you sexualizing an eight-year-old? And it's, no, we're protecting an eight-year-old. And I always found myself wondering how somebody who wouldn't allow their daughter to be vaccinated at the age of eight, how they would feel once their daughter grew up and did what comes naturally and ended up with cervical cancer, if they would feel better about that moralistic opinion that they held when she was eight years old. This week, of course, we had Fox News settling with Dominion Voting Systems the interesting thing is, what's next? Because Dominion still has suits against individuals, including Rudy Giuliani, and it would be hilarious to see Rudy humbled by all of this because I don't know, has anybody ever tumbled further than Rudy Giuliani from being mayor of America to being the guy with sweaty hair dye running down his cheek outside of a 
car repair shop because they thought they were actually booking a Four Seasons hotel. Uh, but he is still being sued along with a few other individuals. But what is forgotten in all of this is there's a company called Smartmatic USA. And they were also slandered and defamed by the same figures. And they are also still pursuing their case. So it's far from over. And uh, Fox could end up having to, I was going to say swallow its pride. I don't know if Fox has any pride. Um, but having to acknowledge its shame and keep moving. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.